Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Unfortunately, Rebecca Lynch is not going to be with us this week. She is in Chicago and cannot join us for the show, but she'll be back next week. We are fortunate, though, as always, to have Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Oh, yes. Very fortunate. Uh, good yeah. day, Matt. Well, you know, it's just going to be just be you and I today, Robert. Uh, well, the good fortune just never ceases. <laughs> so we apologize to our listeners that you just get the two of us. But uh, we do have a guest. Um, Aaron Forrest from Emerge is going to be joining us uh, in the show later to talk uh, in depth about what Emerge does. But then we're also going to talk a little bit more, more broadly about, you know, the critical importance of um, changing who is also running for our offices, how we need more women and people of color running, and obviously more progressives and people from our movement. But uh, we'll also talk a little bit with her about 2018 and what uh, what what opportunities are out there for us and how Emerge and, and how Aaron are thinking about that. But, Robert... Um, wanted to start the show by talking about the what's going on federally with the the tax cut scam, whatever you want to call it. This tax scam. Tax scam. This is a fairly historic redistribution of wealth from not only corporations but the extraordinarily wealthy um, to them. Uh, as opposed to the Affordable Care Act, which we talked about, which actually was sort of a redistribution back towards regular people to actually be able to afford care. This thing's huge, um, and it looks like, the latest as we record here Thursday morning, that this thing could pass the Senate later today or Friday. Um, Robert, your thoughts overall, just sort of now that we're basically on the precipice of this thing passing and uh, uh, on this thing and, and what this really portends and what this means. Well, we shouldn't be surprised for a couple different reasons, Matt. Uh, one is that the idea that they were going to have full control of government, that is conservatives, and they weren't going to be able to enact any major parts of their agenda was too much to hope for. It's amazing what happened with health care. They're still trying to take shots at health care in this, and they'll take more with the huge deficit they're going to create. So they're trying to create conditions for actually achieving through the back door what they couldn't achieve for the, for the front door through Trump care. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised because they have full control of government, okay, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And we shouldn't be surprised because this is the modern conservative project. The modern conservative project is to basically repeal most of the major gains, many of them of the 20th century, especially the middle to late 20th century, starting in the 1960s, uh, and to greatly restrict the role of our own democracy in guaranteeing opportunity for all and economic security for all and health care for all and all of the other things that the public actually believes in. And they are so undemocratic in their orientation, I mean small d democratic, that they're not willing to tell the public that this is to set up the this is a massive wealth uh, redistribution designed to set up the conditions for massively paring back Medicare, Social Security, privatizing them, uh, cutting what's left of the social safety net, right? Uh, throwing people off Badger Care, seniors, the disabled off long term. They're not willing to say that. So it's like the bait and switch on health care where they promise better health care, but they're going to take it away. They didn't get away with that bait switch. Right now, they're getting away with this one because of the complexity of the tax issue, and partly because Democrats 
haven't really done a good job on the tax issue and have and and continue to try to fight within a conservative kind of frame about who's giving a bigger tax cut rather than thinking about what taxes are for which is to invest in things that create opportunity and prosperity and to think about fairness right it is stunning i mean everyone's saying this but we need to think about how it's possible for a political party in what is supposed to be technically a democracy to do something this grossly unfair to most of the American people on behalf of the people who are doing the best, the most wealthy people. And then the public doesn't even believe the economic rationale that giving corporations huge amounts of more money will make them invest in jobs because it makes no economic sense. The polls show public doesn't believe it. The only people that believe it are movement conservatives and the corporations who want the tax cuts, but they're able to get away with it. It shows kind of a degradation of our whole democracy, at least get away with it in terms of passage. It has to. The consequences are probably going to have to come at the ballot box, which is going to be the next big step on this. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to me, Robert, that you talked about you about this in the context of Obamacare. This just their their inability to succeed with Obamacare, and quite frankly, with other significant pieces of legislation, almost seem to make them craven with yeah. this piece of bill. Yeah. Like they have this, we have got to get something done by the end of the year to make it seem like we've done something, which has in some ways made this even worse where I think um, we're the, the couple of the few Republicans who were at least uh, during the Affordable Care Act repeal discussions were really taking, I think, broader policy. I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on all of them just to get something done. And and then, then this bribing, essentially, or getting people's votes where this is like a Christmas tree of, right. of different uh, right-wing uh, things that ought not really have anything to do with you know, an economic or a tax plan, uh, which are being thrown in here uh, that have no business in this. But Robert, the other big thing is this idea that they're just flat out like lying about the the, how, the implications it of the bill. Economists of, aren't even with them, right? Much less the broader of public. And, for the public, for their own, for their own voters and followers. I mean, the problem is how do we? We need to start making the case that this is about their character and who they are and not getting bogged down in tax formulas, even though you can very simply say that this benefits at the front end, no one making 40, no household making 40,000 or less. So no, no working people really. Um, it temporarily benefits some people depending on what deductions they get uh, between 40 and 75,000 a year. So really what you would call the heart of the middle class, but those are temporary those cuts. The purely permanent ones yeah. are the ones for the wealthiest people in corporations, which tells you almost all you need to know. Why do you make? And so, by the at the ten year point, no one under seventy five thousand dollars a year benefits at all. They either are even or they lose income. And right away, people making under thirty thousand dollars, between ten and thirty thousand dollars, the people at the bottom of the ladder struggling. They're working right? They're trying to work their way up. They're doing things like their nurse aides and home care workers and child care workers, folks like that. They lose income right away so that GE can pay even less taxes. I mean, they pay zero, so I guess they can pay negative now, just like Foxconn will be getting subsidies because they're going to pay, would pay zero taxes in Walker land, um, under the assumption that somehow corporations don't have enough money to invest, when in fact they're sitting on mountains of cash and simple economics tells you that you invest 
Not because corporations are in business to create jobs, they're not, but because you can profit by creating jobs. And for that right. to be the case, there need to be customers with cash in their pockets. And they're taking the cash out of their pockets, so the money's not either being stored, invested somewhere else, uh, speculated with to create another bubble, another crash, uh, what have you. But certainly, they're not going to just create jobs with them if there were opportunities for them to create jobs, to create profit. Now they'd be doing it because they well, have plenty of cash. Look, this thing's not aimed, it's, it's not about growth, it's not right. aimed at the middle class, right? You, you hear you, Ron Johnson talk, oh, it's a good growth, there's a good growth provisions well, of this. You know, There's no economist who, who, who <laughs> defends that. Um, in fact, Robert, you, you, you were mentioning some numbers. You know, Trump and, and, and the whole election really focused on a lot of these you know, working class folks, right? largely white if we're going to somehow di you know extract race from the whole conversation but a family making 40 to 50,000, right? The the heart of what you might define as sort of working class, middle class, you get getting into the middle class there, right? Uh, will pay a combined 5.3 billion more in taxes by 2027 versus million or more getting the almost the equivalent in a tax cut, right? What kind of perverse I mean, it's just the, the, the facts and the stats are awful on this. I, and Robert, you brought it up. I really don't think the public is with them on this. I, they're hoping this is almost this is the, 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 the horse race, the insidious horse race nature. I brought it up, this idea that somehow they have to get something done. Right. And that they'll somehow be rewarded, even if most people think this tax plan is a dog, that they accomplished something. They had a win. They did something right. Like as if that is all. Uh, I mean, that's all that's left other than, of course, the bags of money to their special interests, which is there, what this is and, really about. And here's the moral issue. Right. The moral issue is, is that no big corporation, American corporation, no very wealthy person uh, it, it didn't benefit from all of the public investments that we have made. Right to to have the society we have, all of the all of the education and training and uh, and and, and high, higher ed system we provide to have have structured workers, the roads, the bridges, the water systems, everything, the the, the security of the place, right, the laws that protect commerce and, and regulate commerce, all of that, right, and they want and they have an ideology, a very selfless ideology that they owe nothing back, and then they're gonna lie about it. Because if we actually pitted Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid, Badger Care in Wisconsin, against a big tax cut for General Electric um, or, or you know, Coke Industries, it would never wash. But the public isn't being given that option, and we're later going to say, oh, my goodness, there's a $1.5 trillion bigger deficit than there was before during an economic expansion. This is when you would be you know, paring down for the next depression. Recession will be a depression because there isn't money to spend out of it, Right. Uh, but they're not, the public isn't even being offered that choice. So it is very cynical, authoritarian, not in the sense of using the police, but in the sense of literally lying to the people and, and uh, against their own interest and, and basically uh, shredding any kind of public trust or fiduciary responsibility of the people you are supposed to represent. And on that note, we have got to get out of here. We'll talk a little bit more about this after the break. And again, you are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before the break, we were talking about this unconscionable tax scam that the uh, GOP is, looks like they're going to jam through 
the Senate uh, today, which is Thursday when we record. Um, and if you're listening to this on Friday or over the weekend, it, it, it may have already happened. It could also happen on Friday. Who knows? With the Republicans, this could get gummed up. But it does appear, as we discussed earlier, that they are hell-bent to push this through, given their previous failures. But, Robert, this isn't the end, um, because the Senate bill and the House bill are different. Uh, there's some, a lot of similarities, but they're different. So this, assuming it passes, is, is going to have more steps. It's going to have to go to conference committee. It's, it's, there's going to be more opportunities to potentially stop this thing. Yeah, and there's a bunch of parliamentary stuff going on, but people did feel like the Senate was the biggest uh, holdup, and so uh, the pundits now want to tell you that it's it's going to it's going to glide through. It'd require another John McCain moment or something, which is possible. I think people should keep uh, the pressure on. There hasn't been as much pressure as there was on the Trump Care bills, partly because the massive cuts this is designed to create later aren't in the bill directly. Right. If we're actually talking about privatizing Social Security and Medicare as they want to do in the bill, it would be harder. Plus, there's a certain level of fatigue. Right. So how long can the resistance stay at the fervor pitch it was was after the election and, and into the early summer? Uh, but it I mean, the only thing to do is to take it to the ballot box if this goes through. And it is absolutely unconscionable that you're having the largest wealth transfer up the ladder um, in memory, maybe in history. I don't want to be politifacted. So someone can check that for me and get back to us. But it's very, very large. And uh, at a time when we've had uh, three decades of most of the growth going to the top 1% into corporations and the top 20% pulling away from everyone else. So, And it doesn't help the, the, the top 20% equally. It helps the top 1%, the top 10, 10, tenth of 1% much more. And, and it's complete gibberish, like voodoo economics. Remember that term, Matt? Yep. Uh, that, that George Bush, H.W. Uh, Bush used on Reagan? Well, it's voodoo economics that this is going to create jobs for anyone, as we talked about in the last segment. Uh, what we need to, though, get to is competing with Republicans on who gets a tax cut is a muddle at best. And so we need to talk about what the revenue is for how it should be equally shared, and how everyone who does well in our society and large corporations do well in our society because we have this country, we make the investments we do, owe something back to everyone else, to create, to, to, to lend a hand up to everyone else so that as many people as possible have true freedom and, and can live the American dream. And this is doing the opposite. It's pulling the ladder up. One of the things they uh, actually want to cut in their budget revolution resolution is SSI, okay? And SSI is an extension of Social Security, uh, that helps people who become disabled, right? Or have something like lose a parent when they're a child. And Paul Ryan, when his uh, father tragically died when he, was, when he was a teenager, his family got by an SSI. So the only way I can interpret this is, is that Paul Ryan wants to essentially throw, you know, uh, uh, toss the ladder down that he climbed up for everyone else behind him. Because what exactly is a similarly situated kid from Janesville supposed to do if their dad passes away, as Paul Ryan's did, and there's no SSI because they gave all the money to the 1% in corporations? So, folks, obviously, if this passes the Senate, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't look great, but we do think it's critical that we continue to contact our, our uh, Congress uh, members and let them know that this, this thing is awful. And then... <laughs> run against it in the next election exactly. and push our candidates to give a much more fundamental critique 
and actually to talk about the new investments we need to make. Because the idea that we just want to protect uh, what we have right now, we don't have the perfect society now. We need to make massive new investments in a clean energy economy and education and healthcare, other things, uh, to really expand opportunity and freedom in this country. And we and this undercuts that too. So it undercuts what we can do in the future, and it rolls back. It will cause the rollback of everything we have now. Plus, it doesn't help anyone uh, under seventy-five thousand dollars a year once it's fully implemented. So it helps all the all the people who are doing the best and harms all the people who actually need a hand up or need more more access to opportunity. With that, though, we want to change topics and talk a little bit. It's, it's, it's tough saying it's a change of topic because these are so interrelated. But um, Governor Walker this week um, has is calling for an ad campaign for the state, Robert. You know, we need we need some better publicity. Apparently, we're not we're not as popular as we used to be. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, Governor Walker wants to launch a seven million dollar national marketing campaign. Because he wants to persuade, persuade millennials and veterans to come to Wisconsin to help with the worker shortage, Robert. Were you familiar that there was this uh, <laughs> huge worker shortage? Uh, you no, know, we've talked about this, uh, the phony worker shortage uh, before. But again, Robert, uh, complete horrendous policies producing terrible, you know, problems with real good job creation and a seven, the solution is a $7 million ad campaign to recruit workers to come here. Uh, a, a good sound understanding of how an economy works, right, Robert? I, I'm going to be an equal opportunity critic because I'm going to also uh, take some of our friends to task as far as elected officials for fitting into this frame as well and buying the worker shortage. So let me understand we have 60% of African-American men in Milwaukee not working. We have folks all over the state in rural areas, across the whole state, saying that their young people don't stay, don't live in their areas and move away because there aren't any jobs and opportunities, and they have to work three jobs just to hold on, and then they can't afford health care, barely stay above float, do it because they love the area, love the, love the wilderness and, and the countryside, et cetera. No, the they, just, they just haven't seen Scott's commercial right. yet. So now we have a worker shortage, and what that means is Workers, employers, uh, skilled, already prepared workers, employers can employ at the wages they want to pay them. Because, by the way, the solution to a worker shortage is to raise wages enough so that uh, workers come into the state or come into the area. Or, and also, Walker loves to talk about workforce development while cutting K-12 through education, cutting the tech colleges, cutting the university system. Maybe we should make a massive investment in training all the folks who want to work and, 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 and kid, aren't in the workforce right now and, and need more basic skills, uh, training them so we can actually have full employment. And maybe we could have a full employment living wage economy, but we're not talking about that. How does it even help? Why should all of us be paying to lure millennials from Chicago into Wisconsin? I understand they would pay taxes while we leave a whole lot of other people in Wisconsin behind uh, with no opportunity. Well, so it's stunning. Yeah, look, this is Walker actually had a little bit of a verbal faux pas. I know that'll come as a shock, but yeah. that actually kind of revealed essentially what you're saying. Walker said it was critically important to, quote, get more bodies in Wisconsin. Okay? This is. They need more bodies, right? Because as what Robert said, we have low-wage job economy that people, we, we need a glut of bodies in order to get people to sort of take the, these jobs. It is worth pointing out, really, this is, again, 
This is showing that there's a whole group of people that they simply just do not care about. This Written is about they're off, writing off a portion of the state. And a lot of millennials in this state who are unemployed, have very high unemployment rates for young people. Let's be clear, they're not going after all millennials. They're going after yeah. young professionals, right? And they're they're mostly talking about getting people to come to the cities and the urban areas, and they're not talking at all about how they're addressing creating opportunity throughout the state, right? From the kind of investments we've talked about. You just have to walk around Lincoln Park neighborhood to Chicago. They want all those folks that yeah. are that are playing volleyball uh, along Lake Michigan in the summer and softball, Chicago-style softball, etc. So you really think the $70 million ad campaign with Scott Walker talking was bring them up anyway, so let's talk about that. But then what? My, why don't you you talk a little bit about uh, what the response is from some. I well, know we haven't done a full survey, but you have a sampling of some of the well, response. Well, this is just one, one of the articles, right? Um, uh for example, uh, Dana Walks, who's running for governor, and we've we've talked about some of the other Democratic governors who are running uh, uh, for office. We have when, a lot of respect for Dana. Yep, a lot of respect. But here, Dana did say he said uh, uh, if uh, he said that uh, Walker is spending taxpayer money like he's got holes in his pockets, which is you know it's a taxpayer frame, right? It's uh, an idea that some of those finite resources, right? And and so my this is like coaching, right? So this is like quarterback throws an interception. So you go back and you fix it. So I think we should be talking about, uh, frankly, how bankrupt his economic vision is that he has to desperately try to have ads to find workers when his low weight, low wage, low road policies have, have damaged the state tremendously, but also talk about actually investing in people, Wisconsinites who are already here and actually spending this Foxconn money differently. Yep. And so I, that'd be my coaching suggestion. Well, Jen Schilling, for example, she's she's a bit closer there. She talks about that we've lost people because of policies and that we that people are choosing states that actually invest in public transit, promote workplace place flexibility, right? Talking about the kind of investments we need. I'd go a little bolder and whatever, but at least we're getting into the idea, a, right? We're getting into the right frame there. So So why don't we also say it's not she says they come to states. Why don't we say that there are a lot of people here because of lack of transit can't get to these jobs? <laughs> and so people in the state, that's the next step. But you're right. She's down the road to saying that investments matter as far as economic yeah, vitality. Which I think is a, which is where we need to go. So um, anyways, well, we, we definitely want to talk about this because we just think this is so important. This is a muscle that like we're just not really good at, and we're going to have to spend years working on building this muscle and, and not getting caught in these this neoliberal economy trap where we think there's finite resources uh, and that there's really little alternative of, of a different approach, and uh, we got to get out of that box. And I'm guessing that we won't be talking about empty sports bars in Lincoln Park in Chicago because all the millennials moved up to receive for the great Foxconn jobs that they would get to on the autonomous car lanes that we're going to build for Foxconn. Remember uh, that proposal? That is, that is quite a vision. And with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to be joined by Aaron Forrest from Emerge Wisconsin, who does amazing work in recruiting and training women candidates to run for office. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And uh, we are going to get into talking about elections, but talking mostly, really, about 
recruiting candidates and the importance of finding good candidates. And we've talked a lot about that actually on the podcast. And it's something that we at Citizen Action want to get a lot more involved in, particularly with our organizing cooperatives. And so we're really fortunate to have a a great guest who is an expert in recruiting candidates, uh, and that is uh, Aaron Forrest. Aaron is the executive director with Emerge Wisconsin. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Aaron, Emerge is, uh, well, why don't you let us t- tell our listeners uh, <laughs> what Emerge does, uh, real, you know, top lines on Emerge, and then we'll dive in a little deeper uh, as we go. But just uh, give our listeners an idea if they don't know who Emerge is, what you guys do. Sure. So, Emerge has been in Wisconsin for 10 years now. We have trained. Oh, man, I should have gotten an update on that. I trained 78 women this year, so it really messed up all of my, uh, all of my alumni math. But we are, we're an organization that's dedicated to recruiting, training, and inspiring Democratic women to run for office. And we do it in a very specific way. So in an ordinary year, we would take 20 to 25 women with a strong interest in, in running for public office and put them through a six-month cohort-based training. So they meet once a month all together, uh, both to get some leadership training and uh, a ton of campaign training, but also to build a network of support, because we find that that's one of the reasons that women are less likely to self-select to run for office, is they don't feel like they have the support in their lives to do it. So that's what we do. So in twenty, the end of 2016, our applications were still open uh, for our 2017 class, and right after the 2016 election, we saw an unprecedented spike in applications. So we, after reviewing them and seeing that these women were fantastic, made the decision to take 50 women into that class, so twice as many uh, as we would ordinarily take. It was tremendously successful. Seven of them ran for office. Uh, while they were still in the program, five of those women won, and now we're seeing many, many more of them signing up to run in, in 2018. Um, and then that still wasn't enough, so we decided for the first time ever that we were going to train two cohorts. So as soon as the, the first cohort was done, um, we trained another class of 24 women, all of whom are strongly looking at running in 2018. Um, and so right now, we're in the process of building the class of 2018. So it's been a, a very busy uh, year for us, which is fantastic, because it shows a sustained interest from women um, wanting to run for office, right? I think with the Women's March and some of these other things that happened, there were some questions around how much of that was going to turn into action. Uh, and from our perspective, we certainly have the answer, which is a ton of it. Well, that's that's super exciting and obviously critically critically important. I uh, will dive more. Uh, uh, I want to dive deeper into uh, that uh, the, the issue raised about women uh, networks and selecting to run for office because it's a critical issue. But could you talk first a little bit more about if someone were to go into emerge, like kind of what the training is? What what, what do you what what kind of support are you providing now for these these multiple cohorts? Sure. So a lot of, a, a part of it is dispelling some of the myths around women in public office. So 
there are some, obviously, we know now more than ever that women, no matter what industry they're in, have to deal with a lot of sexism. Uh, I think there was, there's a perception because of how women like Hillary Clinton are treated, that that's how any woman who ever runs for office is, is going to be treated, and that's not true. So when women run for legislative office, we're just as likely as men to win, um, but we're only about 25% of the candidates. And so we do spend some time talking, uh, you know, trying to dispel some of those myths, talking about, you know, what the real additional challenges are of running for office as a woman and what is just a, a perception that doesn't bear out in, in the studies that have been done. Um, we spend time connecting them to uh, other women who have run for office, run and won, and are holding office, and run and lost, so they can talk about their experiences. Um, and then it's a lot of campaign training, right? So we talk about crafting a message and communicating you know, your authentic vision to voters. We talk about um, the, the tactics and techniques of how you, um, how you find out which voters you want to talk to and how you um, keep track of that information and make, make sure you're talking to enough voters to win. Uh, we talk about media, media and messaging and social media and, and those sorts of uh, the strategy and the tactics there. We talk about diversity and cultural competency. Um, we spend a whole weekend on that because we really care about the outcomes once these women are in an elected office, and we know that Wisconsin is a state with a lot of challenges when it comes to this. It's not a great state to live if you're a person of color, and we want to be part of changing that. And then, of course, we talk about fundraising, because you have to raise enough money to run the campaign you want to run to talk to the voters you need to talk to to win. Um, and then we talk a little bit about ethical leadership and and go through some sort of tricky scenarios because I think everyone who who runs for office goes into it saying, well, of course I'm going to be ethical, um, but really making them dig into some of these situations that get tricky, right, where there might be two rights <laughs> and, and you have to pick and it's hard. So we want to make sure that they're getting uh, good practice with that early. And then we spend a day... Uh, a morning at the Capitol with uh, the women in the legislature and the women in our program get to uh, shadow them. And we spend the afternoon in a training where we talk about how to get a local ordinance passed, um, the structure of the Democratic Party and the sort of broader progressive infrastructure in the state. And I think that is mostly it. Well, it, th that's that's awesome. And, and, and it's very uh, broad in its scope, which I think is is important. And and I like the idea that you talk about that a lot of this isn't just really like necessarily like particular technical trainings as much as is a lot of this, some of this networking and connecting. And um, we're finding this as we just start to try to talk to people about wanting to run for office. So many people um, who maybe aren't have been told that they're not, you know, the perfect person, that they don't maybe have the perfect this or that. They don't, they're not from the right part of the district. They often get told, not to run or their leadership is often sort of not encouraged. And, uh, you know, what I, what I love about what I'm hearing from you is it's really trying to tackle and break down some of this particular as it relates to women, but also, as you mentioned, really intensively addressing uh, the issue we have with race and in, in, in this uh, uh, broadly. Um, but 
really trying to get people to find their leadership um, is is a huge critical hurdle and fundamental to like transforming this this huge problem, as you mentioned, just the, at least as it relates to women, the incredibly low rates of of uh, actual representation uh, that we have in in our legislatures. Yeah, and and I think that um, women in particular, you know, there have been some studies done on on the confidence gap where um, men will apply for a job when they meet six of ten criteria and women won't apply until they meet all ten. Um, that applies to this, too. And, and I, I think a lot of people um, have a misconception of exactly how qualified you have to be to run, especially for local office. And, and the whole point of our, you know, of this representative democracy we live in is that it, it's supposed to be for regular people. Um, and I've, I've served, I was on um, a city council, I live in Waterloo, Wisconsin, and Jefferson County. Um, and it was an incredible experience. I learned a ton. Um, I felt like I was really contributing, but it also wasn't, um, it, it, it's definitely not as scary as, as people think it is. And we, we hear this with women all the time. Like I said, we're interviewing for the class of 2018 right now. And, you know, woman after woman after woman is just like, I just don't know if I know enough and is this going to be okay? And, and, and well, if there's someone more qualified, I'll stand back and I'll let that run. And I'm like, no. Ah, oh, this sounds so familiar. It, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you want to shake them and be like, you can do this. You, you are, you're the person, right? You know. Right. <laughs> and, and it's and it seems like and and this, you know, there's a degree to which this makes sense. It seems like the the people who are um, the most worried about it have the least reasons to worry. Um, and you know, I can make some jokes about it now. Like, Oh, you're worried about how qualified you are. Have you seen the president? <laughs> um, and obviously we don't want people who never question themselves, right? Like that's how you turn into a monster. Um, but women, women tend to do it so much that we opt ourselves. Um, we opt ourselves out. There are certainly systemic barriers to women running. Um, and, and we deal with those too. And it's part of the reason that we need this whole six month Thing, right, um, but a lot of it really is. Um, it, it's the that's why the the confidence boosting and the myth dispelling part of it is so important because every single one of these women is perfectly qualified to run for office before they get to us. Right, it, it is not an issue of us making them qualified. It's us making them comfortable and feeling like they have enough knowledge to go forth confidently and run well with that we got to quick take a break aaron is going to stick with us and we're going to talk more right after the break uh, about emerge and the importance of getting more women running for office we are citizen action and this is the battleground wisconsin we'll be right back welcome back to the battleground wisconsin again we are citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org before the break, we're having a great conversation about the importance of getting women running for office and providing the kind of just supports and networking that's absolutely critical to making this happen. And Emerge Wisconsin is central to that. And uh, Aaron Forrest is with us, and we were talking about that. So before the break, we were 
talking about your program, the details, how elaborate it is. And I think you had mentioned uh, it's a six-month program. Is, is, is that right? That's right. And, and so you, I think I also heard that you are in the process of starting to look at your uh, class for next year, which, of course, begs the question, right, like, how, how do people who maybe are potentially interested, how does that process of just starting to potentially look and see if this is for them, how do they how do, they do that? Sure. So uh, we have a website. It's emergewi.org. Um, Technically, applications are closed for 2018, but I've got a little bit of wiggle room. If someone is just hearing about this and is super interested, they can find out where to contact me there, and uh, and we can see what we can do. Um, but yeah, the, it's ordinarily the process is uh, an application, a couple of recommendations, and then we have people sort through all those, and then we do an interview. Um, so that's how that part of it works. And yeah. it's, it's pretty cool watching now um, the sort of shift in how our time is spent organizationally. I still spend a fair amount of time on recruitment, um, but the women who have gone through the program are doing such a phenomenal job of, of be, you know, being out in their communities. Obviously, they um, even the women who don't run immediately, we see an uptick in their leadership. They're either taking on um, it, taking on a bigger role in their county party or they're on a, a community board or commission, um, other, other activist groups, you know, some of the things that we saw spring up this year. And so with their increased presence in their community, they're meeting new women and they're sending, when they, when they meet a woman who they know should run for office, they send her to us. And so watching that happen has been really fun and really cool and allows me to get out into, um, other parts of the state where we have either, you know, that are, are going to be strategically important in the future or dramatically underrepresented by women, even more so than, you know, the overall underrepresentation. So that part of it has been really fun to watch develop. Yeah, no, we've, uh, we, we hear about your group all the time from our members, uh, who have participated. So like Christine, uh, 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 Ralph has been yes. has been through the program, and Leah uh, Schreiber Johnson, and I think yes. they're all planning on running for office. We they and are. and they talk, uh, and it, it's now become one of the first questions I ask anyone who, particularly obviously a woman who's running for office, have you been through Emerge or have you do you know Emerge? Right, because it's such uh, we think it's just critical that these that these networks exist and that these capacity in trainings and, uh, are, are out there, uh, because, you know, all of our groups, like a group like us, it's, and, uh, and other organizations, it can be difficult to try and provide these kinds of supports. And so Emerge fills, in my mind, a, a fundamental and critical role. And we're, we're, for example, super excited about both of their efforts uh, to, to run for office. Uh, and I, I like what you mentioned that it, it, you may not, if you're listening to this, be thinking, I definitely want to run for office, but maybe you want to get involved in helping run a campaign or you want to, you know, you want to be more involved and you want to build your skills or at, 
make it possible. You're just thinking about it where it could be something you want to do down the road. I think these networks and getting these skills and trainings is is, is critical and people should really, really seriously consider uh, getting involved in the program. Uh, one other thing related to that that's more technical. Um, how often, like it's you mentioned six months, what kind of, uh, uh, how often are do, do you get together? Do, do folks, regu- uh, do, do you meet? Uh, what, what kind of commitment is it uh, f- for someone? Sure. So we meet uh, one weekend a month and then one weekday. Uh, so the, the first three are full weekends and the last three are just Saturdays. Um, and then we do, we have, a, we have Facebook groups for every class. So we do a lot in there in between. And we're working on a little bit more of an online presence. Like we don't want to go to a full web-based training because there's something really special about getting together in person. And it, it just, the strength of the community that that builds, I, I think is something that we're never going to be willing to, to sacrifice. And we recognize that there's, you know, there's a degree of, of privilege and, and other things that come along with that. So we're trying to find that balance as an organization right now. Um, one of the things, one of the other things we did this year, this fall for the first time, was helped facilitate a training for kitchen cabinet members um, of these women because the, the fall class, they were all, you know, almost all looking at running in 2018. Um, and so they had these people in their lives who wanted to help and also didn't know what to do. Um, we're like, well, we've already got a space. We're already training. Let's bring some people in and help get their volunteers trained too. And that went so well, but I think that that's the thing that we will keep doing. And, you know, we worked with a pretty broad coalition of folks to get that done. Um, so I think all of this is, um, I, I feel like a lot of the organizations are still struggling to keep up with the sort of incredible outpouring of active, activism from this year. And uh, we're just trying to keep doing as much as we can to support the, to support all these incredible people who are stepping up. And, it, and it's sustained, right? But people have not gone away en masse. Um, they're still here. They're still fighting. They're still, you know, more involved in their communities. So to the extent that we can use what we have to support that and get more people more empowered to do more in their communities, that's what we want to do. So 2018 is just around the corner. Um, preview any uh it's it this could be this could be a very it's a huge opportunity and this could be a big year for progressives um but i think in particular also for a lot of these emerge uh alumni or any a sneak preak or preview of some folks that we ought to be uh really following and uh and could that you're expecting big things in 2018 yeah so we are going to have um more alumni on the ballot uh, than we've ever had in our history in 2018. So we're very, we're thrilled about that. Um, some of the stuff is a little up in the air right now because uh, uh, in terms of uh, the state legislative races, because we're still waiting to find out what the Supreme Court is going to say about our unconstitutional maps. Uh, so uh, we have women who are, you know, putting plans in place and, increasing their profiles in their communities and doing sort all sorts of sort of groundwork laying. Um, 
But until we know what the, the lines are going to be, I think it's going to be a little tough to say who's going to do what for sure in 2018. So this could, that could be very interesting. Uh, and it could be a pretty condensed timeline. So that's going to be a place where it, it, I'm very interested to see what happens. But things that we, we saw in the elections earlier this year um, were that women had a tremendous amount of success on the ballot uh, in places like New Jersey and Virginia and, and uh, Colorado and, you know, all over the Pennsylvania had, had a big night for women. And that's a, a tough state to break into. It's a machine state. So I think that that's going to carry over into Wisconsin in 2018. And I think that if there are women who are on the fence about whether or not to run, I, I really do believe that this is going to be a good environment for women in particular. I think that this is another change election, and I think that the electorate is finally starting to understand that women actually do represent change, right? Uh, <laughs> that this is when 75 to 80% of the people holding office are men, women are a change. And I think that that was not as always as clear for folks as it is now, given uh, some of the things that are happening in this environment. I think we're going to have a lot of great women running. Christine Ralph, you mentioned, on the, the east coast of Wisconsin, uh, in some places where there should be competitive seats and in some places where, you know, we haven't always had really strong candidates running because of these maps, right? Um, and Emerge is also a place where we can have really safe, really honest conversations about what it means to run in those districts where the map says it's just not going to happen, right? Um, but that doesn't mean it's not worth running if you run a good race. And yeah. so... Uh, and, it's, and and with as volatile as things are right now, and especially considering we don't know what the maps are, are going to be like yet, I'm I'm just it's it's a very different environment than it's been in the past, and I am very reluctant to say there are certain places that I think we can still pretty confidently say it would be next to impossible for for a Democrat or a progressive to win. I think there are a lot fewer of those in 2018 than there have been in the past. Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely true. But I look, I like the idea that you are encouraging folks to run in places where, you know, a lot of times in the past or, you know, to probably still hear it, oh, you can't win, right? Well, you know, there's a lot that can be done. Um, and you mentioned Christine. I, You know, I've had some fabulous conversations with her that show she is – thinking incredibly strategically and has a deep understanding of what it means to even build organization and that, you know, this is bigger than just one election and that she's trying to, you know, build a, a broader movement and change her community. Um, and she's also well aware if she builds a good, strong organization, she can help uh, a, a progressive governor and Tammy Baldwin. Um, and those are all very important things and that you have someone like that who's running for office, who's thinking strategically like that is critical. And uh, it's uh, great thanks to you and the folks that emerge, uh, Aaron. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up. It's we we got to go. Uh, the 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 radio show has to end. But uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, spend a couple segments with us, uh, diving deep on emerge and the work that y'all do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, it was super fun, and I'm happy to come back and we can 
do it again. All right, folks, if you're interested, please uh, hook up with, with Emerge. So with that, we got to end this uh, show. And uh, as always, I want to uh, thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happens and happens every week. And uh, thank you, Aaron Forrest from Emerge, for joining us. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>